Episode 146 of Australia's number one marketing show. Listen in to this fireside chat I have with a fellow who built an internationally famous hotel from scratch in less than two years with, wait for it, no previous hotel experience. Welcome to the Small Business Big Marketing Show, where successful small business owners share their secrets to take your marketing to the next level. Now, here's your host, Tim Reid. G'day, everyone, and welcome back to the Small Business Big Marketing Show, Australia's favourite small business marketing show. I am your host, Timbo Reid, but you, you right there, so much more importantly, are a small business owner wanting to crank out some very, very good marketing in order to grow that baby of yours. And that's what we are here to do. That's the only reason this show exists. And we are brought to you by the very good folk at Net Registry who contribute to that cause, that cause of growing your business. They help you get your online marketing sorted. And in fact, uh, a couple of things in regards to Net Registry. One is freebies. Hello, we love a freebie. There is a Victorian government event happening uh, on August the 29th in Melbourne, and you are invited. You are absolutely invited. Net Registry are a sponsor of that event. It's called the Small Business Big Marketing Event, not to be confused with this, the Small Business Big Marketing Show, but I am going to go and have a look at and have a listen to the speakers, and I would love to see you there. I've got 20 tickets to give away, and if you are registered on my email list at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com, you will be the first to know about it. So um, stay tuned for that. That's on August the 29, 2013. It's in Melbourne. It's a half-day event, and I am going to tag a um, tack. Tag a uh, a meetup on the back end of that. We'll catch up for lunch. Anyone in Melbourne who wants to have a bit of a catch up with me and the other listeners of the show, then I would love to see you there. As I said, register at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. Then you're on my list, and then we can talk turkey. Uh, Net Registry are sponsors of that. They're sponsors of this show. They make things happen. They make things happen with your online marketing. So um, head over to netregistry.com.au and check them out. Big welcome to everyone from the Flying Solo community as well. All right, guys, big show today. I just hung up from my guest, uh, Richard Crawford, who was the founder and owner for a period of time of a wonderful, a wonderful hotel, very famous hotel in Australia called the Henry Jones Hotel down in Hobart in Tasmania. So Richard's here to share how he built an internationally famous hotel with no experience in a couple of years. It's a it's a riveting story and it's an inspiring story. And uh, I want to share some learnings with you at the back end of that interview. Before I do that, just been kind of mulling over this whole concept of success recently, right? And in fact, to that end, I came across a wonderful quote. Uh, I was reminded of a wonderful quote. The, the quote goes like this. Success in life is knowing the difference between ham and eggs. The chicken's involved, the pig is committed. I love that quote. I remember hearing it years ago and put a smile on my dial and just been reflecting a bit on success lately and how to achieve it and maintain it and all that type of stuff. And I hope you have too. I mean, part of the reason I put this show together is for you to be successful. So um, I think we should all reflect on how successful we are being of late. What can we do to improve it? And i got to say, the word is committed. For me, the word is committed. Whenever I commit to something full on, full tilt, when I lean into it, it generally results in success in some form or another. And when I don't, when I, when I flitter around the edges, it tends to not be successful because I'm not committed. And I love this concept. I think I've spoken about it before of leaning in, leaning into whatever you do. Uh, and when you do that, it's, it's like a surfing or a skateboard term. You know, when you lean into a corner, you are committed um, and you are, you, you know, you're not pulling out of it. You are there in order to see it through. And I think any small business owner that I've spoken to, and I've spoken to, a this is the 146th episode of Small Business Big Marketing. So I've spoken to a few successful small business owners in my time, and every single one of them has been committed. They've been committed to building, you know, from an idea, a dream to an idea, to bringing it to market and making it happen. They've all been committed. None of them have gone, oh, yeah, look, I got around to it in between doing some other stuff. You know, Brian Singer from Rip Curl didn't go, oh, yeah, yeah I was just... Uh, you know, I was doing other things as well as, you know, making wetsuits and trying to build a global surf brand. He didn't, he was committed. You know, Jeff Harris from Flight Center 
was committed. Every single uh, Tom O'Toole from the Beechworth Bakery committed to making the ultimate, you know, cake and pastry. They all lived it and breathed it. And um, so, you know, yeah, the chicken's involved, but the pig is committed. And I think we've all got to be pigs. Okay, that's the that's the learning for today. Um, continue to think about what constitutes success for you. It's not all about money. It's obviously about doing something you love and something that you're good at and something that makes a difference in the world and getting paid well along the way. And I think those two can absolutely live alongside each other. So that leads me into Richard Crawford because Richard was absolutely committed to building an amazing brand, an amazing hotel down in, in Hobart in Tasmania. Now, Richard absolutely leaned into this idea. And just so you understand, the uh, first of all, go and visit the, the, the website for the hotel that Richard started. It's called, the website is thehenryjones.com. You can go and have a look at it and you'll get a sense of this beautiful boutique hotel located on the water in Hobart, which is a small state of Australia for overseas listeners. And it's the most beautiful place. In fact, just reflecting, my last week's guest was also from Hobart, Charles. In fact, Charles introduced me to Richard. Um, must be a Hobart thing going on. In fact, you won't believe this. <laughs> my wife and daughter and one of my sons is down there as well at the moment uh, on a sailing kind of expedition. So goodness me, there's a Hobart flavor to this show at the moment. Have a look at the Henry Jones. It is beautiful. It's an amazingly old building. It's an art hotel. Richard is responsible for making it that way. As he said at the start of the interview, you know, it was, it was occupied by squatters who were potentially going to set fire to the place if someone didn't do something about it. So it's an inspiring story. Honestly, grab a pen and paper, guys, because there is a lot of marketing gold about to drip through your headphones or your speakers, I promise. I'll see you on the other side because I'm going to share some of my key learnings that I've taken from Richard's um, sharing. Uh, but in, for now, enjoy Richard Crawford, owner, founder of the Henry Jones Hotel. Richard Crawford, welcome to Small Business Big Marketing. Hi, Tim. Now, uh, Richard, the Henry Jones Hotel, uh, A, what a wonderful brand. B, what a wonderful hotel. It's, it's, a, it's a pub that I've been wanting to stay at for a long time and um, I'm really it's great to be able to speak to the founder of it. Oh, well, it's uh, it's a pleasure to be involved uh, in, in what you're doing, Tim, and I understand that the target audience is hopefully interested in what we've got to say. We'll oh, see how we go. I, I have no doubt, Richard. So now I just find this fascinating. You built an international hotel from scratch in less than two years with no previous hotel experience. So, you know, that's very, very interesting. Where did the idea come from for doing this? Well, we'd been in the, the tourism caper in Tasmania for, well, our family had for sort of, you know, 20 years. Mm -hmm. And I'd had 10 years experience in different components of the industry, car rental and travel agencies, et cetera. And uh, a colleague of mine who'd uh, had a couple of smaller hotels rang me and said, look, there's an opportunity on Hobart's waterfront. It's uh, a tender opportunity. There's a bunch of old warehouses. They date back to the 1820s, in fact, making them some of the oldest buildings in Australia. And uh, it was the old IXL jam factory, which had been abandoned all 30 years before. And there were squatters living in the buildings and uh, state government, in their wisdom, decided that uh, uh, they should be developed. Otherwise, the squatters were going to burn these beautiful buildings down. Mm. And uh, so we put our hats in the ring and there were 28 tenders, all the, the usual suspects, all the international hotel brands. But we were two locals who uh, decided uh, we'd have a go at the process. So, uh, wow, 28 tenders. You had you'd been in tourism, uh, but no hotel experience. Your business partner had had did have hotel experience. Yeah, look, and she had a really good eye for uh, for a quality uh, proposition. Her partner. Uh, now, I don't like to talk about age, but but Flora was sort of in her sixties, and I was in my late twenties. So yeah. we made a, an interesting sort of duo. But uh, her husband had been in in property development in a big scale, so I think she'd learned a bit from him. But but Flora DeCanzo's her name. She had really good eye for for a quality uh, property. Yep. And then uh, we got talking, and uh, her scale of previous investments had been kind of eight to fifteen, twenty rooms, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. The Henry Jones, the opportunity was to go a lot bigger than that, but but we put our heads together and decided that 50 rooms in the in the warehouse buildings mm -hmm. would be a really good fit because it would suit that boutique hotel market, mm -hmm. but still give us the scale that we needed to to make a quid. So uh, we put our heads together and we had to be creative, put it that way, to beat the big boys. Tell me before we, I, I want to explore that, but just want to go back to that sort of phone call or that meeting where 
you and Flora have come together and you're a 20-something-year-old bloke who's got no hotel experience and you've all of a sudden gone, no, nah, I'm going I'm to have a real crack here. I mean, that's a big decision because I imagine there'd be some significant investment, both time and money required to get it to what it is, what it became. How did that feel? Like, tell me about that moment where you've gone, no, I'm going to do this. Well, look, it was sort of a, a bit of a gradual process because the first phone call from Flora was really to seek advice from me because through my... A wholesale travel company. I'd been giving her little businesses a fair bit of support and uh, a fair bit of revenue. And Flora said, there's a meeting on tomorrow morning at eight o'clock in Launceston. I want you to come and give me a hand. Now, Flora's very creative, but not as good around the board table as perhaps, uh, well, I'd had a bit more experience in mm-hmm. that regard. So I jumped in the car. What do you mean? Was she was she abrupt or just couldn't read the play? Or? Oh, no, no, just uh, not as experienced, you mm-hmm. know, in the commercial world. So um, I jumped in the car, headed to Launceston and uh, 8 o'clock, had no idea what I was walking into and the plans were laid out on the on the boardroom table. I looked at them and thought, wow, um, this is an, an amazing site. It's funny, it's one of those sites that had been in Hobart forever and a day, it was part of the landscape, but you, you kind of wandered along and didn't really pay much attention mm-hmm. because Salamanca Place was at one end of the cove, which is the celebrated tourism precinct, mm-hmm. but Hunter Street was the other bookend that nobody went to. So when I saw the drawings in, in a way that I'd, I'd never really viewed the buildings, I thought, this this is a good concept. My job at the meeting was to make Flora look good. This meeting, can I just get, mm. is this a meeting with the government to present the tender opportunity or is this Flora presenting an idea where she wanted to submit a tender? Uh, this was effectively the, the, the building slash development company that had that really been given the site because it was in such disrepair by the state government. They paid, I think, maybe 200000 for the wow. site. Yeah, which was the reason for that was because there was unknown contamination levels at the site, mm-hmm. um, and it was a bit of a you know a risk for them. They took it on, and the idea was then as the master uh, developer, they would con- they would carve it up into retail hotel. The big anchor uh, operator would be the hotel, mm-hmm. so they were keen to um, find a hotel operator to take that bit off their hands once it was built. So the plans were put out by the, the developer slash builder, and. Um, I really just talked about Flora's expertise in hoteling. Mm-hmm. We made a pretty good fist of it, I thought. I got in the car and drove back, and Flora rang me. I was halfway back to Hobart, a two-hour drive, and she said, I'm going to have a go at this, but I want you to be involved. So um, I said, all right, let's have a meeting tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock in Hobart. <laughs> Might have did the reverse trip, but um, we, we quickly put our heads together, came up with a, uh, a plan, and uh, within, I think, probably two months, uh, had a submission on the table amongst those, uh, the other names like Intercontinental and Seville and Savoy. And uh, our idea was uh, for it to be an art hotel, the first art hotel in Australia. Was it really? Because so there's been a few since then. Um, and, and that was your uh, 28 tenders amongst, you know, global brand names, Intercontinental, you know, like uh, what was – why would they, besides it being a good idea – they must have. They had to trust you as well. Like, how did you get? Th- how did you get that across? Look, I think there were a few pillars to um, our submission that that really stood out from the crowd without knowing. But uh, we got some advice. You know, it's always good to go and get some expert advice from from trusted advisors. And uh, the local guys at Deloitte in um, in Tasmania, the first thing they said to us was, "Make sure you've got the biggest proposal on the table." Like <laughs> size wise, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> the old weight so test. A four became you know A one, <laughs> and uh, uh, we we had the the big pictures. We we needed to to show them that whilst we were the smaller guys and we didn't have the, the deep pockets, we didn't. We knew the other guys would treat this as a race to who would pay the most for the finished product, right? So, so in other words, you know, um, I'm guessing, but Intercontinental might have said, we'll give you $100, we'll give you $15 million for a finished hotel to build it. Mm-hmm. Now, we didn't have that sort of money, so we had to be creative in two ways. One, in the way the deal was structured, but two, in what we wanted to create. And I think we won probably on, on both counts because we suggested to the builder, you guys should retain ownership of this. Uh, and what we'll do, we'll pay you a million dollars a year rent for 50 years. Now, that sounded brilliant to them mm. because they got, a, they got an anchor tenant, um, good return on their, their building investment, uh, but also longevity. Mm-hmm. But, of course, that suited us because a 50-year lease is effectively freehold. Mm-hmm. So uh, we paid zero instead of paying $15 million, but we guaranteed them a rent of a million dollars a year. So now, let me just understand that because, okay, mm. so you've, 
builder, here's a million bucks a year. That's yours. You own the property. Builder retains ownership of the property, uh, the actual, yes, the, pro- the real estate, Correct. and you- Therefore, your aim is to build a business that you can at some point sell and make your dough. Is that right? That's right. And you can only do that if you've got a long-term tenure. So so 50 years was, you know, what we sought. Mm -hmm. But uh, that effectively, in our view, was freehold. But, of course, we had the option to buy. So once we were uh, traveling well and had some money in the tin, Mm -hmm. um, the idea then was that we would – then pay after we got some runs on the board. So uh, that kind of suited the developers because they felt good about the return on their investment but also retaining ownership of this iconic site that might leverage other opportunities for them. The the builder's going, he's paid 200 grand for the site and he's got someone offering him a million bucks a year for 50 years, like right there. Yeah, but they've probably spent 12 million or something on the redevelopment. Yeah. don't don't forget. So they've yeah, got a, right. a lot of remedial works to do. Turning these warehouses into to fifty five star suites uh, was difficult, particularly with the heritage component of the building. Oh, so they're copying the cost of the build. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. So they cop that, and then uh, the way that the deal that we structured was that we would have to they'd give us painted walls and carpet, <laughs> and then we'd have <laughs> to put the TVs in the you know the beds, and that's when you go down to Harvey Norman and say we want fifty TVs, yeah. or fifty. And, uh, you know, you do good deals with your suppliers. So so all of a sudden, it was a manageable deal for two, to answer your question, it was a manageable deal for two people with, um, you know, not the scope of funds of a multinational. Uh, Flora had uh, some, some... Pretty good, uh, a pretty good super fund. She wanted a return on, so uh, you know the, the paid up capital and the investment we made in in the fit out, which was you know probably two two and a half million dollars to fit it out, um, was really the extent of our initial exposure, if you like. Is there any point in that process, Richard, where you got the wobbles? Uh, yeah, when I got the phone call to say we got the deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, well, we've got to do that now. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Because I, I look, to be honest, I'd really enjoyed this challenge of pulling together a a compelling bid, and, and that was backed by our understanding of the local market. And, and look, that was the other component that probably made us uh, stand out from the other guys is that we knew the local market. We were passionate Tasmanians. And uh, I'll, I'll talk to you about sort of Henry in a moment, but Henry, who died, you know, way back in 1926, mm. he was a big part of it. Um, and, uh, and, and from our point of view, we gave the whole process personality, but we we started to get pretty passionate about bringing Henry back to life. Mm. Then when we got the phone call to say, well, you've got the deal, you've got to go and find the money and congratulations. <laughs> uh, I remember in my office just sitting there thinking, what do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, oh, yeah. I love that. I love a bit of business courage. Um, mm. Tell me, um, so let's talk product, the product side of it, and clearly Henry plays a role here, I'm assuming. But um, so I, I've heard you speak before about the fact that, you know, understanding what the market wants is critical, you know, um, and giving giving them what they want. So you're building a hotel, you're building an international hotel. So you talk about local market, who, who are you building it for and how did you decide what that product was going to contain? Well, we're, we're, believe it or not, we're going back 10 years almost mm. now at this process. And, and at that point in time, the mood of, of travellers was starting to change. Uh, this cookie-cutter approach of the Hiltons, the Hyatts, the, the Sheratons. People were starting to, corporates and leisure travellers, by the way, were, were starting to say, look, we want something different. We want to be surprised. We don't want to walk into a hotel room and know what we're going to get before yeah. we even walk in the door. And that was the, the starting point of our conversation uh, internally, was that let's do something that surprises the market. Um, the brass and marble hotels, that I call them, had, mm. had really taken over the, uh, the, the world in terms of you know, options. But we wanted to create something that was uh, reflecting the true values of the destination. And what I mean by that is, you know, you can go to exotic places around the world like uh, Vienna or, um, or Venice or, or Paris, and often you're staying in a in a hotel that has no connection. With- you, you could be anywhere. I, I've just I've just I've come back from Dubai and Vietnam in the last two months and had a brilliant time. But in both cases, stayed in hotels where I always think, you know what, I could be anywhere. That's right. It's a cardboard box and it's a bed, and that's okay. Uh, but I bet your preference would have been to have a more authentic experience that was um, mm. consistent with, with the place you're at. Where you're at, yeah. Now, 
and, and that was kind of starting to change that I think um, the big brands had got a bit complacent um, 10 years ago and this idea of boutique, niche, edgy, funky was starting to really come out in, in the needs of travellers. So we set about... Um, being an independent hotel, we were approached to be part of chains and we resisted that temptation and instead looked at four four real, I think, pillars of, of, of strategy. One was art, one was history of the place, uh, the third was design uh, in architecture and fit out and the fourth was Henry. And Henry Jones uh, was a, a 12-year-old kid who'd become uh, famous down the track after working for the the first major jam maker in Australia, and he created his brand called IXL. Mm. And IXL was his life motto. IXL at all things I do was Henry's mantra, if you like. And uh, Henry created an empire in these buildings, um, and uh, we decided that uh, the hotel should bear his name. Uh, so the Henry Jones Art Hotel as a trading gallery was was the result. Wow. Yeah, great to have those pillars. That's a great way of a great way of looking at it. You um, and everything everything that makes up that product then has to kind of fit into those pillars. Um, did you? Um, okay, so we've got the product now. That started to develop. It launches in two thousand and four. Uh, is that right? Two thousand and four. Yeah, two thousand and four. Uh, we opened. Uh, tell us about opening day. You open the doors. You got you got forward <laughs> yeah. bookings. Yeah, we did. You know, one one of the things, oh, the beauty of when we opened, of course, was this uh, phenomenon of uh, of online bookings had just started. Uh-huh. So uh, the the beauty of that was, um, you know, we could we weren't sure when we'd open. You need to get your occupancy certificates and all that sort of stuff. Uh, we were putting beds together at three in the morning, and I was there, and uh, you know, knowing that it was a fair chance tomorrow would be the day. Love it. But but before that, you know, go back a month, go back three months, you really don't know. Mm. So this this trigger of when you start taking bookings is a bit of a moving feast. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of the internet was the instruction I gave to our general manager was we're ready to go, dump all the rooms on whatif.com.au. Huh. And for the first six months, 30% of our business came from what if. That's a discount site, isn't it? It is. Um, now, I mean, at the time... Um, Which doesn't feel in line. Clearly it worked, but it just doesn't feel in line with this brand, Henry Jones, that you've created, which is, you know, premium high-end hotel, uh, and I'm, I'm booking it on what if. Well, the brand journey, though, of course, you know, was only a few months young, yes. so, so we hadn't developed that sort of position in, in people's minds. What if enabled us to, to at least... There's two challenges in hotels. One is marketing and one is distribution. Now, distribution means if we're in Hobart and our travellers are elsewhere, how do we connect with them, particularly when the brand has never been known to anyone? Mm. It's not like we plugged into the Sheraton system and they just opened up another hotel and there were you know, 10 million people on their database that all of a sudden yeah. knew about it. Yeah. We had nothing like nothing. that. Um, Did you have a database? Uh, no, no. <laughs> not, not in the traditional sense. <laughs> you know, I had a few mates I sent emails to and said, look, we're open next yeah. time you're in Hobart. Come and stay with us. But, but the internet did enable us to... to to have a distribution platform, um, even back then, uh, you know, to, today it's more dynamic than then. Of course, you know, I could put a bed in my office at three o'clock this afternoon, and I could fill it, uh, you know, by six p.m. Yeah, yeah, because there'd be someone at Melbourne Airport on their smartphone trying to book a room, you know, on wherever a, that a, bed a, was. Airbnb. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So look, we we. Um, they were tense times because you're not holding a lot of forward bookings. You're hoping that that things will happen when you um, when you open the doors, and uh, yet we had a few from those internet channels. Uh, but by and large, uh, it was just all systems go from a marketing point of view. PR was really what underpinned it. Let, I want to touch on that because that's that's critical and and what you did with the journos and things. Before we go there, Richard, I just want to. Um, so with what if it's a classic example of um, you get you, people need to see this place. You put you've invested so much time and money and ideas into the, into the actual product that people need to see it in order for that word of mouth to generate. So I'm guessing so what if allowed that to happen? People come in and then all of a sudden you got people coming through from day one, heading back home, ringing their friends, getting on. Oh, even back then, you know, ten years ago, Facebook, whatever it is, and saying you got to see this place. Yeah, that's kind of what happened look it's a big part of it when you're talking when you're pitching yourself at, at a premium end of the market you know we had a lot of wedding inquiries in the year leading up but of course you know um, the bride wanted to see the function room yeah, and good luck. Uh, 
yeah, wanted to see the, the suites, and you don't blame them for doing that. Yeah. So, so whilst there was so much intense interest because it was such a high-profile site, there were still a lot of people that needed to be able to touch it, feel it, and understand it before they committed to you know a group booking or a wedding or or even contracted corporate rates. You mm-hmm. know, we couldn't knock on the door of uh, I don't know. Um, you know, a, a big corporate account like BHP, not that that was an example, but mm. someone like that, mm. and say, look, we want all your business whenever you travel to Hobart. Um, the decision maker still wants to be able to see the rooms. Um, so we, we, we needed to crank the machine as quickly as possible from uh, day one of opening. All right, let's talk PR because you had a, a significant PR uh, initiative around it. What did you do? Look, PR, in my view, is, you know, probably one of the most important um components of marketing. One, because it's, I think, the best return on investment. And two, because you're getting third-party endorsements. Someone else is talking about you if you do it right. In the hotel game, uh, you know, you can do your pretty brochures and you can say that you're the best hotel in town with the best beds and the best view. But if you get other people staying with you and commenting on that, uh, that are key influencers, they're decision makers, they're, they're opinion leaders, it really cuts through. So what we did was uh, went very hard on our, our visiting journalist program and mainly through the State Tourism Authority, through Tourism Tasmania, who conducted, I mean, they would bring 300 journalists plus to Tasmania a year. It was one of the most aggressive marketing ploys that they undertook and we plugged straight into that. A lot of hotels would give Tourism Tasmania a 50% discount or a 20% discount. I'm guessing you gave them a 100% discount. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Tim. Um, you know, where, where others go halfway, we went the full way. I just said, we'll take as many as we can get. They're there for free. Uh, we'll look after them well, which we did. Um, Getaway was a good example of that. Katrina Roundtree came down, and instead of staying for one night, I insisted they stayed for three. Wow. Yeah, for <laughs> overseas did. listeners, Getaway is a, the biggest travel, at the time, is the biggest travel show in Australia. Yeah, it was, it was incredible for us to, to get on national TV. And, of course, this is all underpinned by the reality that we had no money. You know, we, had, we didn't have a big marketing budget mm. that, that others might invest with. We were, we'd spent all our money on, on all the flash fittings. So PR was a case of give them a free room and see what happens. Just to interrupt there, because the irony is, like, I mean, fifty percent discount, hundred percent discount. It's not as if it's costing you. It's not. I mean, it's not. Wouldn't be costing you a lot to put them up. You know, it's. You're not. You're going to value it at rack rate. You're going to value it at whatever the hard costs are. Just putting them up and feeding them up. Absolutely. And and you look at the you know the cost of sale of the food component and all of that. If you really want to get finicky about the numbers, and I said it, the return on investment is is remarkable. The tangible example I'll give is. Every Friday night, I used to do an art and history tour. I'd put a little note in guest rooms and say, invite them to join the director of the hotel to learn about the story of Henry and to have a look at our art. Um, There were 300 pieces by the University of Tasmania graduates throughout the complex for sale. But the first thing I did on the the tour was to ask people where they were from. It was my market research, you know, Mm -hmm. 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I'll get three or four guests that might come and have a glass of champagne with me on a Friday night. Every single Friday, we had 30, 35 people you know, from a 50-room hotel mm. um, coming to have a drink. And when each one of them told me how they'd heard about the hotel, which was my first question, where are you from? How did you hear about us? So many had said, we saw you on Getaway within huh. you know, the first few months. But a message that kept coming back to me was New York Times. I thought, New York Times? There's no way we've advertised New York Times. You could never afford it. The next day, I... I uh, got an email from a journalist that had stayed with us and had slipped through the net. And normally I met every one of them and had a drink with them. But uh, a journalist from the New York Times had put a half-page story of the Henry Jones. The media would have been valued at, I don't know, 300,000 or <laughs> some ridiculous number. And uh, people were starting to visit us from that article. Unreal. Which was, and I've got it now framed on my wall. Yeah. Uh, but as a reminder of, uh, you know, you can get a three. You don't have to spend three hundred thousand in advertising to get a three hundred thousand no. dollar ad. No, that's yeah, that. Well, get away and the article in New York Times, both tipping points clearly for for the Henry Jones brand. You missed the email. Uh, the email from the journo saying, "Hey, I've just written an article. Here's a link to it." Or no, I, I made some inquiries because. Um, you know, this message had come through a few times now yep. uh, that they'd seen us uh, on the New York Times, and that's when I think via Tourism Tasmania I got the email saying, yeah, this article has you know, been published, which I got a copy of. But, but it was actually not so much the article that was published. 
it had a long tail because it was living online. Yeah, yeah, it was there forever, probably still there. It was still there. So these Americans who would religiously, at the time, New York Times were probably early adopter of, of online um, marketing and presence, and so people were doing searches for Tasmania or and through the New York Times, I think the only article coming up was the one about the Henry Jones. So. <laughs> I love it. It was so, great. Richard, this, uh, by the way, listeners, I'm speaking to Richard Crawford, who uh, founded and owned between 2004 and 2008 the Henry Jones Hotel in Hobart, Tasmania, which is um, just an absolute, A, beautiful part of the world and B, a beautiful hotel. Um, Richard, um, that, that whole PR thing, did you continue the, the, the journo program through Victor, uh, Tourism Tasmania? Did you just continue that ongoing? Yes, we did. Uh, after um, probably 12 months, we I think we introduced a visiting journalist rate uh, because the word got out. <laughs> <laughs> Free holidays down at the Henry Jones. That's right. But uh, we look, we did. It remained a really important part of what we did, and it, and it just elevated um, the brand in a way that we could never have afforded to do on our own. And the clippings that we received daily, the email stories we saw being written, um, and you know, you get a freelance journalist that that makes their money out of selling articles. Um, you know, they they were being distributed far and wide. When you're the new kid on the block, when you're the fresh sort of shiny new product, there's a lot of interest, and you need to capitalise yeah. on that early because it will dry up, and and it did dry up. Uh, and, but but I think we probably got two years of you know what I would call free marketing campaign just through through working the system. Well, I wouldn't say free. What what do you reckon the average cost of putting up a journal was? Oh, look, we, we, you know you could probably I don't know hundred dollars, Tim. Um, <laughs> if you look, you clean the room, um, you, you feed them, uh, so you know you you take a punt on a hundred dollars any day. <laughs> yeah, 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 every day of the week. Uh, did you do any other marketing? So you, you got your you got your your PR campaign, your visiting journal campaign. Uh, you've got word of mouth happening as a result of providing a great product. Uh, were you advertising? Were you doing anything else? Yeah, look, there's, I guess there's two components that most small business people will think about with, with their branding, and that's uh, brand awareness and then tactical. From a brand awareness point of view, that's the really expensive stuff. If if you want to get out there and tell the world that you know the Henry Jones Art Hotel is a new brand and you should stay there, you're going to go broke pretty quickly if you try and tell everyone. Oh, yeah. So so PR was probably the the main strategy for the awareness, but but the tactical stuff is where our hotel manager and and um, our sort of expert in house people put their minds uh, to work, and that was doing things like dealing with travel agents and wholesalers and um, corporate accounts, conference groups, all that sort of thing. So that's the tactical stuff, which, you know, we did by, uh, not by placing ads, but by jumping on airplanes and, and going to visit these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I remember one particular example, our general manager went to uh, a breakfast that was uh, all of the, the, the big high-flying CEOs, uh, their PAs went to. Now, they booked their accommodation, of course. So our general manager is a good-looking rooster, goes along and does his song and dance routine <laughs> to this uh, group of PAs and said, look, we'd really love to be the hotel of choice when you book accommodation for your boss. As a consequence, James Packer was uh, a regular guest oh, of ours. Oh, how good's that? Now, James, um, or Mr. Packer, as we called him when mm. he was a customer, um, you know, he'd come down to reception in his tracky dacks and, and mm. talk to – because we had this relaxed atmosphere and, and I coined the phrase – it was all about black tie service with a blue jeans attitude. Yeah, love it. And what we meant by that was, yeah, it's a five-star experience, but we're not wankers. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we keep it real. We're, we employed people that weren't necessarily from, you know, Swiss hotel schools, but they were uh, ex-actors, school teachers, a whole bunch of people that just got it and they were real. And as, as a result, Mr. Packer felt very relaxed there. I couldn't see him doing that at Crown or, mm-hmm. at, uh, mm-hmm. um, when, you know, or at a Sheraton, but, but we just had this approach that I think relaxed people uh, and that's when the whole product delivery really started to gain momentum that people knew us as being the guys that didn't have the the attitude and I was personally tired of going to hotels and not even being smiled at by the people at reception. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't get me started. Tell me, how, Richard, how do you 
um, get that attitude throughout the organisation because you know, okay, you're the you're you're one of the bosses there, and you know exactly the brand that you're trying to create, and um, you know some of your senior staff will. But do you have meetings where do you, do you have some kind of um, induction program from a new staff member, or do you have meet, regular meetings where you go, okay, this is the brand we're trying to create, this is the personality. Let me tell you about this black tie service with blue jeans attitude kind of concept. How do you get that throughout the organisation? Well, I mean, that's that's kind of the genie in the bottle, isn't it, for yeah. most people? And what what we're talking about is culture, organisational culture and, and how you want your product to be conveyed by your staff. You know, when you go to bed at night, what you want to achieve in life. But, but how do you transfer that? We were lucky uh, because we were a, a new business. So culture, there was no pre-existing culture. Uh, I, I reckon, to answer your question, it actually started three months before we opened. We, we hired a little office, which became the war room. And, and in that office, we had we were recruiting staff. We were writing down menus. Uh, we'd put the executive chef on. He was designing a menu. We all had red T-shirts. Red was our colour. Mm-hmm. So we gave people a sense of ownership uh, three months out. We created it together. We rolled our sleeves up. There was probably a team of a dozen in pre-opening for, for three months. Um, candidates walked in the door, and instead of walking into a uh, a corporate environment, they saw activity. They saw samples of bedspreads. They saw art. They saw bits and pieces of things yeah, everywhere. Right. They walked in and they could sense there was a vibe. Mm. And, and it kind of started then. And then it became obvious that if their vibe didn't match what the small team uh, had created, then mm. they probably weren't going to be suited to the role. We had 400 applications for our first 40 jobs which um, sounds like a lot, but at the time, and in Tasmania, that's a lot of people. Um, yes, it is. Wanting, we were an employer of choice before we even opened, um, which was kind of fun. Um, but to answer your question, I think, you know, the culture started early. When you're in the hotel at three in the morning putting beds together, uh, that creates even more of a sense of ownership. Yeah. And then when you open the doors and you enjoy the wins together uh, and you enjoy the fact that we were getting this uh, getting awards and getting positive feedback. Everyone enjoyed that success. I, I remember talking to Martin Daly, who was the head of people at Virgin Blue many years ago when Virgin Blue came to Australia, and um, his his um, employment advertising cost was pretty close to zero. He paid nothing to because staff wanted to work for the Virgin brand, and it's the power of branding. And I'm guessing you, you know, the industry in which you know the hotel industry is quite transient from a staff point of view. I'm guessing, but your staff retention as a result of building this strong brand would have been pretty high? Yeah, it was. Um, you know, there's, there's probably two main groups of people that work in the hotel industry. Some are uh, seeing it as a, as a stepping stone or a part-time job, either at uni or something like that. Then you've got your career hotel people. We, we attracted a lot of the career hotel people because they saw that in Hobart as you know, possibly the, the pinnacle of where they might be. They wanted to be at the flashiest place and the newest place in town. So we got that. But we also got a lot of people that... Um, uh, at that time, were were seeking uh, new opportunities. Uh, there were unemployment was you know pretty high at the time, uh, so we were I think in hindsight blessed that we got a whole bunch of people that weren't just hotel people. They'd come from interesting, intriguing backgrounds, and um, they were happy to learn. They had no preconceived opinions about what they did at the previous hotel where they worked. So we had malleable sort of personalities mm. um, that were happy to, to take on um, this. The, the the whole personality of Henry. Mm, mm. Richard, you um you had it for you got out of it in two thousand and eight. So what happened? Did you end up um, buying it off the construction company and then selling it, or what happened? Well, that was that was the plan. Um, we had we probably exceeded our expectations. Really, you know, honestly, from 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 opening, we were you know ninety percent occupied pretty much the whole time. Um, we got the highest rates. In Hobart, I remember someone telling me, and I really respected their opinion. Um, long-time hotelier, you'll never get two hundred dollars a night in Hobart. <laughs> well, we got that in the first six months. You know, we were averaging that, and I think, you know, I think in hindsight, part of it was because no one had ever asked for two hundred. Yep. You know, yeah, we've never tested the market with quality. Then, so we exceeded our expectations. All the KPIs were were, were above where we thought they'd be. Um, we won a lot of awards. We won, you know, the best. Tourism Development in Australia at the Australian Tourism Awards, which was, you know, you don't set out to win awards, but it's so satisfying for the people that have been involved in it. I remember being at this black tie function on the Gold Coast and the guy that got up before me, 
was the only guy not in a dinner suit. He was wearing khaki shorts and khaki t-shirt. Steve Irwin. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> he won. Uh, he won the, the the minister's award for you know, outstanding contribution to tourism. Mm-hmm. And I said to my wife. Our category's next. You'll have to get up after uh, Steve Irwin. It'll be a it'll be a hard act to follow. Yeah. Well, as it turned out, we did, and, and to win, yeah, to win best new tourism development put us on the map. And awards that that starts that whole PR train again mm-hmm. because the awarded product gets gets the gets the attention. So we were happy with how things were going, and um, we eventually look. The short story is uh, a company in Tasmania called Federal Group, uh, the largest private employer on the island. They own the two casinos. People know Rest Point Casino, probably first casino in Australia, uh, which was started by Mr. Farrell 35 years ago, and they had the Launceston Casino. They had started to uh, move out of, uh, well, to add to their entertainment portfolio a tourism portfolio. So that not only did they want the, the shiny casinos with gaming, but they wanted to invest in tourism, and they'd started a brand called Pure Tasmania, an award-winning brand. Uh, which Federal Group used as the vehicle to buy a number of properties at Cradle Mountain, um, uh, at Freycinet on the east coast, uh, at Strawn on the west coast. And, and clearly in Hobart. <laughs> yeah, they, they, there was a missing piece of the puzzle that they needed an iconic Hobart destination and uh, they're very compelling buyers, the Federal Group. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they, they approached us, uh, it suited us. My heart said no. My, my accountant said yes. Yeah. And um, you know, I, we exited. But uh, something I'm very proud of. And in fact, when I spoke to the staff when we were leaving, I I said there'll be a lot of other things in my life, but there'll never be another Henry Jones. And mm. and for me, it was you don't expect to fall in love with a business. And our family had been involved in you know a number, but this was my baby. I did outside of the family business. And uh, I found something I was good at and I enjoyed. Yeah, I find that fascinating. I get it. You know, like you've, they obviously had a checkbook, a rather large checkbook. And, you know, uh, I remember talking to a, a mate of mine who owned pubs years ago and, and two of his were out on the, the buying the pub spree. And I said, because he, he loved his pub. I said, why'd you sell? He said, they just keep, they just kept on increasing the number. And it got to the point where I couldn't say no. I'm guessing that's what happened to you. But four years in, uh, emotionally, I'm guessing that would have been like the money would have soothed things, but just tell us about that kind of the emotional kind of detachment. Look, to be honest, it, it was it was difficult uh, because when you, particularly when you start something from nothing, and and a lot of small business people, most in fact, have done that. You know, they've, they've taken something and turned it around, mm-hmm. or they've they've had a dream that they've they've made come real. For me, uh, I did feel a sense of of loss, if yeah. you like, uh, because hotels are very public uh, sort of business where, you know, the Prime Minister used to stay with us. Now, I'm not going to mix with the Prime Minister unless I own, you know, this hotel. I'm mm-hmm. never going to meet that person. Celebrities, all this sort of thing. And you, you, people kind of validate you based on what you own or what you've done, which I don't like, I must add. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we'd have a function and you'd be introduced as the owner of the hotel. And for some reason, that would validate you and people would want to talk to you or they would seemingly give you more respect. And yeah. that never sat comfortably with me. It's called celebrity. Yeah, and, well, no. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, to a, to a certain extent, it is. I mean, it's there's levels of celebrity, but uh, that's what it is. It's why it's called star. They're called stars because, mm. you know, people are attracted. And it, look, it's not meaningful because, mm. you know, the minute that you don't have that, and, and you, you fall for it a little bit because what you do often defines you, right? Um, you know, what, what I did defined me because what I did every day. Mm. Uh, and then when you haven't got that, the definition of you uh, perhaps is uh, something you question. Mm-hmm. So uh, were there tears? Uh, yeah, I did actually. Yeah, when I addressed the staff. Oh, uh, God. Yeah, just, just, just a little one. Just yeah. a little one. Um, because, you know, I, look, it was more, it was actually more pride. It wasn't so much loss. It was more uh, sense of achievement. And, and you don't really stop that often to reflect on that sense of achievement during the mm. journey. And at the end, when you have the opportunity to do so, it's, uh, yeah, it can be a bit overwhelming. But it's always there. I said to my, my daughter, one of my daughters, the time she was only four, and I said, "Look, we've sold the Henry Jones," and and she started crying. And she, oh, wow. then she said, "Then she said, oh, Daddy, would it, will it still be there?'" Oh my and god! And I said, "Yeah, it'll be there forever." And then she was fine. Yeah. And that said to me, "Hang on, there's something in that. Um, you've built it. It's there. People are still staying in it, enjoying it. Um, I, I read the accolades it gets with with a smile, and um, it's still there." 
Wow. Uh, now, I guess you went and did the big round-the-world trip, and then you've come back, and <laughs> what are you doing? Well, yeah, look, I wagged school for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I actually, um, it, was, it, it came at a time when our family business had sold the Thrifty Car Rental franchise, which, which I was running as well, and that was 600 cars on the island. And, you know, I had a couple of hundred staff. We had a smash repair business. If you think, in fact, everything was sold um, around about the same time. So here I went from a family business and an investment in the Henry Jones to not a lot to do, but a fair bit of time to think. And I fell into consulting. I actually kept a little building behind the hotel, which I still own, and my private office is in that. And, and I have a number of clients that over a period of you know about four years, I, I consulted to them on a few boards. And uh, uh, it was liberating uh, that you didn't have to worry about anything else other than yourself, but then you feel selfish because you're not worrying about anyone else other than yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a cycle. And, and I enjoyed consulting because I was adding value to to different businesses, uh, predominantly in tourism, and uh, did that for a while. And uh, recently was asked to uh, to make a move to the Gold Coast to head up acquisitions of hotels for um, with a, with another guy uh, for the Mantra Group, which How owns 100, fascinating. 114 properties. You have gone in full circle. You've gone. You've started an amazing hotel brand. Well, before that, you were doing some family business stuff, small business stuff. Start an amazing hotel brand. Go back into consulting, and now you're working for one of the big boys. Yeah, well, uh, I didn't think I would. In fact, I'd never worked for anyone in my life. I started my <laughs> first business at 21, and but I turned 40. And, uh, you know, you can get a bit philosophical when you turn 40. Oh, and, give me a break. You're a chicken. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I convinced myself and said, if I don't move, I'd never lived outside of Tasmania. Yeah. Uh, if, if I don't do this now, uh, I, I, and again, there's sort of moments in time that I reflect on what mentors said to me, and a, and a guy that used to be the CEO of, Tourism Tasmania said, Richard, do it now, otherwise you never will. Mm. And I did it. And the opportunity came up. Uh, I go back to Tasmania every few weeks to see my girls who live with their mother. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I'm just enjoying it. We've got a big brief. We've got 114 hotels in the group under three brands. There's Mantra, Peppers and Break Free. Mm-hmm. And my job is to, uh, to get more in uh, the portfolio, p- predominantly in Asia Pacific. So um, it's a lot of fun. Do you? Is that hard working for the man? Uh, no, because I, I made sure, damn sure, that the culture here, yeah, yeah. The place I was going to go, was the right one. I came up yeah. and saw the CEO, and you know, he's a young CEO. He's ambitious, but um, you know, a lot of fun. Um, the team here is you know, they've got four thousand staff in the group, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I'm in the team of sort of um, you know a dozen that are that are at the top of the sort of decision making. Mm-hmm. Um, environment and when you're in that dynamic place uh, then I got the feeling pretty quickly it goes back to this conversation about culture I, I guess I weighed it up pretty quickly um, and said mm-hmm. yeah I think this is a place I could be and uh, they've asked me to stay on so um, we, we, we seem to like each other. Good on you. Oh Richard it's a great story mate I, I'm so glad you were <clears throat> willing to share it despite the fact that it's uh, now five years since you've been uh, part of the Henry Jones. It, it's a wonderful story and um Listeners, you've got to check this place out. <clears throat> go to the website if you don't go to the actual place itself because it, it is an absolute beautiful uh, venue. It's a, it's a great example of branding and so many things. So thanks for sharing, Richard. Uh, my pleasure, Tim. And uh, look, I hope your listeners got something out of it. Um, I'm a small business person at heart and I know how tough it can be. Um, you know, we've talked about the success, but, you know, with that come a lot of hard times as well and I, I don't want to sort of, you know, gild the lily too much because uh, it's, it's bloody hard work. But, um, yeah, well, well, it's actually interesting you say that because <laughs> despite the fact that the interview is all but over, um, you know, it, it, I was going to talk to you about, you know, God, really, were there, were there hard times? Because this just sounds <laughs> like a rise and rise. Um, but, you know, I guess there were, but maybe uh, the hard times weren't as um, hard as others have experienced. Well, I think the message in that is, you know, I, I'm looking back now. So retrospectively, you know, when you're in your business and you're cranking it and you're getting up early and you're doing the late nights, um, when it's all said and done, when it's when you're sold and you've, you've, you've capitalized on your investment or whatever the motivation has been, when you reflect, you actually, you don't remember any of those hard times, I'll be honest. Yeah. Then those thoughts don't come in. It's it's the pride and the achievement, not so much in the financial side of it. But for me, you know, job well done, and 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 if that's what you can reflect on and and smile, well, uh, well you know, you have one. I agree. Good on you, mate. Thanks so much, Richard. Pleasure. Wow, 
I so honestly, I mean, I love all the interviews that I do. I love speaking to successful small business owners, but got to tell you that one just kind of really resonated with me. I think it's such a wonderful story of business courage, of having a go, of brand, of just smart marketing. It ticked a lot of boxes. I hope you got a lot of, as much from it as I did. Now, a number of learnings. Again, I'm going to keep it to three. So many more, but number one for me, the identification of the brand pillars of your business. I loved how Richard talked about the pillars of the Henry Henry Jones brand being art, history, design, and in fact, the fellow Henry Jones who occupied that building all those decades ago. Being clear on your brand pillars can make it so much easier to therefore build your brand. They act like filters. So, uh, and, and part of that whole branding thing that I loved what in terms of what Richard shared was the black tie service with blue jean attitude. You know, again, that's just being absolutely crystal clear on the brand, okay? And when you know that as the owner of your business and share it with your staff, you're going to have this wonderful consistency and you know what you're going to do? You're going to build emotion. A brand is simply an emotional attachment and that's what you want to do in your business. Forget the rational stuff, build emotion. Number two learning uh, from my fireside chat with Richard just reminded me of the power of public relations, PR, yeah? He used it so cleverly, and look at the leverage it got him, you know? Being on the number one travel TV show in Australia on Getaway, being in the New York Times, a half-page article. Oh, my God, I would dream of that. If you want to pursue your PR strategy, I suggest heading over to a website called Source Bottle, S-O-U-R-C-E, Bottle, .com.au, the lovely Rebecca Derrington owns and runs that, uh, of which I interviewed her a number of years ago on this show. Um, it's a place where you can seek free PR for your business. Go and check it out. Number three lesson from Richard. We didn't go too deep into it, but a couple of times Richard mentioned mentors, the power of mentors. He talked about some advice he got from someone at Deloitte. He talked about his accountant, and I'm got a feeling there were other people in Richard's life along the way that provided wonderful advice, uh, sage advice. I like that word, sage. Been looking for a reason to use it. There, I've used it. Um, and I think we all need mentors in our life. Hopefully, this show for you, you know, is kind of like a little mentorship in itself, albeit not one-on-one, but yeah, you know, close enough. I'm just, you know, I'm in your ear. I'm watching your back. So, guys, I hope you enjoyed it. That was just the uh, just a wonderful interview. Thank you, Richard. Thanks for listening, everyone, to that. Now, uh, a couple of things before we go. Head over to the Small Business Big Marketing Forum. If you want to connect with me on a daily basis, if you've got marketing questions and all that, come on over and share them, and let's grow our businesses together. Head over to smallbusinessbigmarketing.com, click on the forum button, and you will be in before you can say, boy, wouldn't I love to stay at the Henry Jones Hotel? Uh, 49 bucks a month, a little bit cheaper than the Henry Jones Hotel per night, but uh, I suggest I'd love to see you in the forum. Number two, remember to sign up at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. There's going to be some free tickets given away to go to that uh, Victorian government event on August 29. We're going to organise a bit of a meetup afterwards in Melbourne, so I'd love to see you there. But you know what? I reckon that'll do us. Remember, Net Registry, make this show happen. So head over to them if you want any of your online marketing sorted. Until next time, team, may your marketing be the best marketing. See you next week. You've been listening to the Small Business Big Marketing Show with Tim Reid. Want more marketing goodness? Then visit smallbusinessbigmarketing.com.